We're in Psalm 37 today. We've been working our way through summer psalms, we're calling it the summer, and we've been uh, just kind of bouncing around. The last week we were in Psalm 34, so we're just scooting ahead a little bit this week. Um, and again, we like you to follow along. We don't put the whole text in your bulletin or any of the text this week in the bulletin. So uh, if you're looking for psalms, just open up your Bible right to the middle. If you don't have one with you, you can grab one out of the pew in front of you. Uh, and opening up right to the middle puts you right in the book of Psalms, and you can go forward or backwards till you find verse 37. Um, Psalm 37. Psalm 37 is, is longer than any of the other psalms we've looked at so far this summer. Uh, it weighs in at 40 verses. It could... Uh, take out any of the other psalms we've looked at if there was a, a boxing match, I suppose. Um, but that means we're not going to cover the entire psalm. Uh, instead, we're going to cover some, some major themes within this. Uh, and, and the way we're going to do this is we're going to read the first 11 verses. And then as we work through this psalm, uh, I'll highlight a few of the select verses in the middle. And then we're going to finish with verse 39 and 40, the very last two verses, as it brings it all back together. Um, however, before we do that, I want to give you just a little context of the psalm so you understand what we're jumping into. It's, it's written by, by King David, and, and it tells us that, that he wrote it later in life. And In fact, if you've got it open right there, you can look in verse 25. David writes, I have been young and now am old. And this is important because he, he's writing this after a full life of seeing God's faithfulness in his life and in the life of, of others around him and, and those who trust God. And so... Uh, personally, I, I find this incredibly encouraging. Um, in fact, I found the older I get, the, the more I begin to understand that one of the wisest things I can do is, is to listen to the wisdom of, of godly people who have walked this path of life before me, um, to really hear that wisdom. And, and here we get to experience that um, in the Word of God itself. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing we're seeing here. Uh, you also need to know that this is a wisdom psalm. It's a uh, uh, an instructional psalm. It's similar to the Proverbs. In fact, uh, some of the section we're not reading in the middle, uh, you, if you were to read through it, you'd see it feels a lot like the Proverbs. Um, it's short examples contrasting wickedness with uh, righteousness. And, and really, its purpose of a psalm like this is, is just to share wisdom, uh, instruction. And finally, just like last week when we were in verse, or Psalm 34, uh, this too is an acrostic poem. It's a little different in that uh, every four lines in this begin with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet uh, until you get to the end of it. So roughly every, every four lines. Uh, and I tell you that simply because it's interesting. It, it won't change the way you read this one way or another. The fact that you can't see that alphabet makes no difference to how you're going to understand God's word today. Um, but I thought it'd be worth sharing with you. Uh, so anyway, let's read Psalm 37, uh, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they soon will fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his ways over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. 
but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that in providence you have placed us in the 37th Psalm on this Sunday. May we not come to your word today looking to be entertained, nor as an academic exercise. Rather, draw us into your word today as hungry men come to food and as thirsty women come to water. May our need for substance be met in your holy scriptures. And that means we're asking you to give us faith to believe your word is your word. And give us faith to trust what we cannot see, to hope in the darkness. Yes, Lord, Give us hope that lights up the darkness with the glorious gospel that you have called us to carry across the globe in both day and night. Lord, encourage us and direct us by your word today. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is the hope of the nations, we pray. Amen. If I'm honest, I've found that the older I get, the more I am tempted to become a bitter old curmudgeon. I don't know if that's normal, Um, but this temptation to just be crushed by what seems like the undoing of the world that we live in, and the truth is, I don't feel like I'm absolutely alone in this field. I I believe that that we as Christians are beginning to feel this great anxiety, as Christians who believe the Bible is the actual Word of God, as Christians who seek the wisdom of God in the Scriptures, as Christians who often fail, but desire to obey God's word and to be fed from it. I found that despite being that Christian, I I, I think you might feel the same way. Uh, Truth is, we're living at a a time that can quickly cause us to become disillusioned. This past Friday, the Supreme Court of the United States of America ruled 5-4 to to change the definition of marriage. I think I was surprised afterwards by just how many of the most powerful companies in our, in our country, how many of the most influential people in our, our country began celebrating this decision? Honestly, it, it caught me off guard more than I expected. Look at the news. Even just a, a week earlier, we, we saw racist hatred motivate the killing of, of nine brothers and sisters in Christ simply because of the color of their skin. Over the oceans, we hear over and over story after story of of fellow Christians being killed simply because of their faith in Christ. We now live in a nation that for the last 42 years has sanctioned the killing of unborn children. We're seeing men claim to be women, and and we've witnessed the transition of pornography from the, the shadowy corners of society to absolute mainstream acceptance. We've, lo- we've watched the complete loss of any sexual ethic. Uh, as an intimate act has transitioned from a sacred expression of commitment to this casual expression of autonomy. You know, we're not the first generation to feel this way. I mean, I remember my, my dad even telling me a story about how my, my now 89-year-old grandma, um, <clears throat> when in 1956, when, when Elvis Presley shook his hips on TV, she was completely offended. Um, her words were, it was absolutely obscene. And, and when my father told me this story, I, I laughed. It seemed absolutely ridiculous that she could be so offended by some guy shaking his hips. And, and, and then you step back now, and I, I guess that's because Miley's made us long for the days of Presley. See, the older we get, um, the more that we begin to see what, 
what looks like the fabric of American society seeming to un unravel. And, and we're living in a, in a time when it's not difficult to feel like wickedness seems to be successful and, and righteousness seems to be failing. And, and now I've, I've mentioned this in, in wide angles as we look at our culture, cultural issues, but you've probably seen wickedness prosper in your own life as well on a more personal level. You've seen dishonesty at, at work or a classmate cheating on an exam and getting away for, for it or getting away with it and actually prospering in this or someone lying to get ahead or, or to escape a punishment and being successful at it. Now I don't mention this to make you anxious. I imagine you might feel that. I do. Um, in fact, the very reason I mention this is to do quite the opposite. I, I want us to see that while this psalm was written about 3,000 years ago, it still speaks to the experience of, of those who fear God in every generation, including our own generation. See, God's word is, is timeless. We say that. But it really is. God's word is, is timeless. It was as true yesterday as, is, as it is today and as it will be tomorrow. This psalm, in fact, uniquely equips us for the world that we live in right now. So praise God. Praise God for giving us this, this wisdom that does not change even as the world does. I, I mentioned... Uh, we've all watched and we're including, continuing to watch um, wickedness seemingly prosper in, in various ways. <clears throat> and, and now there's these two contrasting statements in, in this psalm that, that give us a, a framework for how we might live our life when wickedness prospers. So the first statement really, really speaks to our natural reaction when we, when we see wickedness succeed. And the second statement speaks to a, a better way. For God's people to live when wickedness seems to be succeeding, when it seems to prosper. And the first statement is found in verse 1, and it's repeated again in verses 7 and 8. In verse 1, we, we, we read, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. We're going to unpack that in just a moment. But first, I want you to see the contrasting solution which God gives us to combat the temptation that we have to fret. Verse 4 tells us, Delight yourself in the Lord. So I hope you've got that, that text before you because I, I want you to actually look at this. I want you to see how these two sentences actually compare with each other. The, the verse one, uh, in verse 1, fret is, is the verb. It's the action going on there. That's the one response um, to the success of wickedness we see in the world. That's one response we might have. In verse 4, though, delight is the verb. And so fret and, and delight correspond to each other in that regards. Uh, both statements apply the action to yourself. Fret not yourself and delight yourself. And then this last phrase to correspond to each other as well. We either fret because of evildoers or we delight in the Lord. And so what we need to see is these are two paths for the people of God. Two paths that stand before us even this evening as we reflect on the disappointing direction of our nation in many regards. And so let's make sure we really understand this. And in verse 1, this word fret comes from a Hebrew word, uh, chara, which at the most basic level means to burn hotly, like a fire. Uh, this is what many of us may be feeling today. We're anxious, we're distressed, upset, agitated, even burning with anger. It's a worry that is, is driven honestly by this desire to have the world 
in our own control. I mean, that's the heart of why this really is so frustrating, is we want to have the world in our own control. And so then, fret not, as our text reads, is this, this negative imperative. It's a, it's a command, an actual command to us. Don't burn with anger and do not be anxious. That's a command of the Lord. And the second half of verse 1 adds that we're not to be jealous of wrongdoers. See, there's this tendency that we have uh, to always be looking through the fence, wishing that we were on the other side of it. Uh, sometimes when I'm driving out in the country, country I'll, I'll see cows. I, I look at them because I'm a city boy. But, um, and, I, and I've noticed one of the strange things I see is these cows will have their head through the barbed wire fence, reaching out for grass on the outside of the fence, and, and it always looks so stupid to me. Because behind them are like a hundred acres of lush, green farmland and here they are reaching outside the the boundaries of this this fence trying to get something but isn't that what we do sometimes i I remember in in college feeling jealous of my my peers who who lived without any moral restrictions they they seem to enjoy the freedom of promiscuity or or just the escape of drunkenness and and these lack of restrictions or, or fences in their life and i can remember just thinking boy wouldn't that be cool um, and I know this sounds a little bit like an after-school special, but, but slowly I, I began to realize they weren't as joyful as they looked. So my freshman year, I, I went potluck on roommate. I wanted to be surprised with who I got, and, and the guy I was matched with was, was this great guy, but he lived with absolutely no fences. Uh, we got along well, but, but often he'd come home late at night, and, and when he'd finally sober up, he'd just be absolutely depressed, and, and he began to constantly ask me questions about the meaning of life, and you know, just this incredible dissatisfaction with his life. You know, he expressed, really, he's got no reason for getting up in the morning. He just did the next thing that sounded like fun, and he repeated that over and over and over, and that was his life. And the more I got to know him, the more I, I realized that his life without fences was nothing to be jealous of. So now in our, our, our text here, uh, this phrase, fret not. It shows up more than once. It shows up twice more. In verse 7, it says, Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. And, and then again in verse 8, it reads, Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. So let's apply this to the Supreme Court decision we just saw a few days ago. If you fret, if you worry, if you agonize, you will become angry. And that's going to lead you to this, this anger and this hatred of another human who has been made in the image of God. And, and that hatred is evil, for Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And, and as we're thinking about this, in, in terms of this landmark decision, let me remind you of this, that while much changed last Friday culturally, what, what didn't change is we are still a a nation who desperately needs to hear the good news of the gospel. What didn't change last Friday is that is God's call for his people to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And, And that includes right where you are in the culture that we now live. You see, what didn't change is is God's call for us to love our our neighbors whether their faith is in Christ or, or, or they worship this idol of autonomy. 
And what didn't change is, is God's sovereignty. And I think that's an important one to remember because this is the moment we start to think maybe, maybe that's not the case. But it didn't change. And neither did God's goodness or his grace or his patience uh, or the truth. Um, the truth that all hope is found in God alone. And so you might feel stunned this evening, this afternoon, but, but brothers and sisters, there is a path of response which does not involve fretting. And that's the one that God calls us to. That's the one we must go to. That's the path of Psalm 37.4, which, let me remind you, is not a suggestion. It's an actual command in the Word of God. It's a command to delight yourself in the Lord. And I know that, that sounds strange. You know, the first question I thought was, can God really command that we feel an emotion? Well, he just did. So yeah, yeah, he can. Uh, and he does. He, he absolutely can. But how do we do that? Um, well, we get, we get some insight in how we do that uh, in, in the verses preceding it, in the verses following it, verse, uh, verse 4. And so in verse 3, it tells us, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Do you get that? Right, right now, are you trusting in the Lord? And I ask you that because fretting is the, the opposite of trusting in the Lord. I mean, do you want to delight in the Lord? Start by, by slowing down and asking God through prayer, God, am I actually trusting in you? Am I really honestly trusting in you? And, and you might need to do this over and over in many areas of your life. Uh, Psalm 20 verse 7 makes this distinction very clear. It says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Where do we look to for trust? And so we delight in the Lord when we, when we put our trust solely upon him. Um, and again, remember, God is sovereign. This is not out of his control, not in the slightest. Uh, Travis mentioned his prayer, but it's absolutely true. Jesus is still on the throne. Verse 5 then builds on this as it calls us to put that trust into action. It, it reads, <clears throat> commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and, and he will act. This means we keep following God's word no matter what. It means we put into practice Proverbs 3.5, which tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Okay. So then coming back to verse 4, look at it again. Do you, do you understand that delight means that we take great pleasure in the object of of the delight. And the object of delight here is of absolute utmost significance. It doesn't just say delight yourself. It's not an open-ended statement, but delight yourself in the Lord. See, we ought not delight in our, our winning, and we ought not delight in someone else's losing. Rather, we're to delight, delight ourselves in the Lord himself. This phrase in the Lord is, is really fairly common in Scripture. I, I did a, a search on this phrase in the Lord, and, and what I learned is that we should also, what other things that we should do in the Lord include this, that our, our hearts are to exalt in the Lord, that, that we are to believe in the Lord, that we are to take refuge in the Lord, be glad in the Lord, shout for joy in the Lord, boast in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, hope in the Lord. God says that he will make us strong in the Lord. That we are to have confidence in the Lord. And in Philippians, we are told to rejoice in the Lord and also to stand firm in the Lord. See, this is the essence of the, of the Christian life, that we are not autonomous. What we do, we do in the Lord. 
And Psalm, here in Psalm 37, uh, the call is to delight yourself in the Lord. And this is wonderful for a number of reasons. First, every other delight in your life can be taken from you. But not this. Not your delight in God. Um, secondly, because God knows that there is nothing, nothing more satisfying than himself. Um, which is great. It's really great since the reason that God made you uh, to begin with is that he would be glorified by you. And that's one of the reasons I love that famous statement by John Piper where, where he says God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Because isn't, isn't that what we really desire? For God to be glorified in our lives and for our souls to be satisfied in, in God? And that satisfaction is indeed the promise of verse 4. When, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, God gives us the desire of our heart, it says. What this means is that God gives himself. It's like saying, God is saying, search for your satisfaction in me and you will find it. So now the, the majority of the psalm, as I mentioned before, really is this, these Proverbs-like statements reminding God's people that in the short run, the wicked do prosper, yet in the long run, they, they perish. And that sounds harsh, even coming out of my mouth right now. And so let me remind you, those aren't my words. Um, verse 20, for instance, says, The wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. This is similar to what we saw in, in verse 1 and 2 when we read it. You remember, um, don't be jealous when you see evil succeeding. And, and then it tells us, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. This, this paints this, this picture. Remember we, when we looked at Psalm 23, the idea of the, of the, the shepherds out there. And in the spring, this grass would spring up and it would be green and, and beautiful. And yet, it didn't take long into the summer months before it was, it was burned up. It was vanishing down to absolutely nothing. And it's saying that's, that's the kind of success, the prospering that you're seeing with the wicked. Uh, the success... Of the wickedness does not last. Last, and so even if it lasts an entire lifetime, or or for generations, even let us not forget that that we are eternal beings. I think in these moments of fretting, often we forget we're eternal. We really are eternal. Um, death does not end our existence. And and verse twenty seven even speaks to this truth when it says, "Turn away from evil and do good; so shall you dwell forever." Verse 34 encourages our patience, saying, Wait for the Lord and keep his way. Um, now, honestly, this is a little odd for me. I don't typically uh, apply scripture so quickly or so explicitly uh, to a cultural event. And, and yet, in this case, I believe it's the best way to apply this psalm in our, our lives right now and the best way to en encourage us in this time when I feel like we need it. Um, so, I think the question we need to be asking is what do we do? Is that a question that's been on your mind? What do we do? How do we respond and not become those bitter, hateful Christians that you hear about who seem to want to crush the freedoms of others? I think the first thing we do is to remember that we will stand before God. And try as you might, you will absolutely die in this life. That's part of life. And you will stand before God. I tell you that to encourage you to be faithful to what you know is true no matter what. 
also to remember that your job isn't to make others obey God's word. I think we forget that sometimes. Uh, we can't do that anyway. It's, it's absolutely impossible to really legislate morality. People have tried. It doesn't work. But that's okay because God didn't ask you to legislate morality. I mean, think of the Great Commission. Jesus tells us to go make disciples. And he tells us to go baptize these disciples. And he tells us to teach them to obey all the commands of God. But these are disciples we're talking about. And, and you know, 2,000 years ago, Christians were called to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Ten years ago, Christians were called to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Three days ago, Christians were called to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And, and, and guess what you're called to do today? Proclaim the good news of the gospel to make disciples. And so be personally faithful to the word of God. Teach it to your children. Lovingly share it with your neighbor. But really, you, you can relax in the truth that you will not be held accountable for the actions of people in your nation. Just your own. So Christian, let me, let me remind you of this. Love those who hate you. Love them because they really do need Jesus. Love them because they need eyes to believe this. Love them because the love of Christ for us who are sinners should compel us to love other sinners. See, if there's one thing that I want you to walk out of here with today, it's this. Christian, fret not. Fret not, but delight in the Lord. And this is a daily thing. You can't do it once and be done with it. It's, it's not that easy. You're, you're going to get up tomorrow and you're going to see ungodliness succeed. And your natural reaction is going to be to fret, to worry, to even burn with anger. But we need to constantly feed on the faithfulness of God in our lives. Or, or like the, the Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray for daily bread. That, that's this food analogy, and it's a beautiful analogy because we don't eat once and that's the end of it. No, we, we eat constantly, right? Some of us too much. Um, but we eat constantly. If you ate lunch this, this afternoon, you're still going to need to eat again this evening. Or at least by tomorrow morning. Um, we're going to need to seek God asking that, that he'll remove our fretting and, and give us delight in him again and again. And, and even as I've been thinking about this all week, and I, I've had the benefit of being in this text and really thinking about it, but I keep finding myself fretting. And I have to turn back. I have to turn back and go find the path of delighting in the Lord over and over and over again. And only then have I found any rest, any peace this weekend. Now I told you we'd be looking at that last two verses, Psalm 37, 39, and 40. Um, it should encourage us. <clears throat> it says, The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He has their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Where do we go for refuge? We go to the Lord. I think as Americans, we're so used to really not needing any refuge in our life. And maybe we can't quite see it, but increasingly, I think we're going to be driven to God for refuge. And while I don't love that idea because that sounds difficult, Really, at a deeper level, it's, it's a good thing for us. It's a good thing for our faith. Um, let's bring this to a close. Um, really, with the current condition of our, our country, and I don't mean to sound dramatic, um, but with the current condition, it's easy to wonder, where does it stop? 
how do we turn this, this ship around? How do, we, how do we pull out of this? The truth is, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. And that's okay. What I do know is that um, the Roman Empire fell apart and the Church of Christ continued. What I do know is that nations rise and nations fall. Power shifts one way and then power shifts another way. And yet the church continues. Um, Christians have found themselves in places of power at times, and they've been marginalized and treated like the absolute scum of the earth at other times, and the church has continued. Through it all, the church continues on. And, and no matter what happens in our nation or around the globe or in your life individually, uh, the church will continue on, and the forgiveness of your sins in Christ remains true no matter what happens in the world around us. So Christians, stop fretting. Speaking to myself here, stop fretting. Because tomorrow the sun will come up. Tomorrow the birds will be singing because that's what God has made them to do. Tomorrow, like today, is a gift, and there is delight to be had in the Lord, in your Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the world may change, but the gracious God that we know and serve never does, ever. Rest in that. Rest in the Lord who has loved you. Rest in the Lord who, even if the entire world hates you, has loved you. Uh, rest in the Lord that knows your sins and, and has called you, uh, while he's calling you to repentance, loves you anyway. Rest in that and fret not. Let us pray. Lord, we live in a world that feels out of your control. We struggle to understand how the evil actions of some lead to their success. God, give us eyes to see the world as it really is. Not rose-colored, but as it really is. And yet to trust that you are reigning on your throne victorious. Take away our, our fretting as we learn to trust in you. And God, give us delight. Not in stuff, not in success, not in comfort or security, not in legislation, but in you, God. And all that you are for us. Yes, Lord, make our hearts to desire what you have commanded in the psalm. May we find so much satisfaction in you that the temptation to turn to other gods is rendered powerless. Lord, make our joy in you steadfast, even as the world around us seems to spin out of control. Give us strong faith. Give us solid trust. Give us hope when there seems to be none. God, please give us a passion for prayer. As we realize, it's, it's not us who sit on the throne, but, but you, who are the king of the universe for all of eternity. O Lord, may we follow your command to fret not by delighting and trusting in you. It's in Christ's glorious, glorious name we pray. Amen.